If you've been in New Spring for any length of time, you probably noticed the pattern, and that is that it seems, if you listen to either my dad or myself speak, um, we get personal a lot. In fact, we do series that are specifically about things that we personally struggle with, and I think part of that uh, is because there's nothing like one of us being able to share our journey with you, to be able to face something that is in ourself that we struggle with, to be able to explore it in the Bible, and then to be able to be up here and talk to you about what God is doing in our own lives. I think maybe that may be the coolest thing that somebody who does what I pastors gets to do. And that's exactly what I'm doing in this two-week series in Waiting Room, is I'm talking to you about something that is a struggle in my life, and God is taking me through the process of learning some things about this, and I hope you'll just join me on, a, on the journey. In fact, as a matter of fact, I told the Saturday night service, and I'm really being truthful about this, this series is just about me working through my own personal issues. Uh, and if you'll join me in that journey, I think there's some things that we can learn from this. And when I say it's a personal issue for me, what I mean is that I have a significant problem with waiting. I don't know if I have any brothers or sisters in the room, um, but waiting is a problem for me. As a matter of fact, I'm so compulsive about waiting that if I'm waiting on something that, need, that can be checked on, I don't know if you can relate to this, but if I'm waiting on something that has something that you can check on, I will check on it over and over and over and over again until I finally get whatever it is that I'm waiting on. Uh, I don't know if, if, if you can relate to that. But I just struggle to wait. I, I, I would rather things be concrete. When I'm waiting, things are kind of nebulous. You never know when something's going to happen. And so that's why we've named the series Waiting Room. Partly because uh, uh, it's talking about dealing with the struggle of waiting. But more than that, um, I don't know if you've... Uh, it seems like there's more waiting rooms now in, in, everywhere than there used to be. You know, you got waiting room at the doctor's office, the dentist's office, the, the tag agency. Now, now they've got these little waiting rooms in the restaurant, right? You go in the restaurant, and they're not ready for you, so they put you in a waiting room, you know? And uh, to me, nothing will make me break out in hives as fast as having to sit for an indefinite period of time in a waiting room, right? The, the doctor's office especially, you've got the stale magazines, and, or the stale coffee and the expired magazines, pretty much same difference. And... Um, uh, You've got the elevator music, and everybody's germs are kind of getting swapped around. In terms of illness, it's kind of like buy one, get one free. And, and, um, and, then, and then they take you from the big waiting room to the little waiting room. You know, you go into to the, to the room with the plastic bed and the paper across it, you know, and, and you're there in this room with white walls and medical equipment. They leave, shut the door. It's kind of like your own little medical isolation tank there for a while, you know. And... Um, I just don't handle it well. I don't handle waiting well, but you know what? The thing about it is, if you're a person like me and you struggle with waiting, uh, you, can probably, uh, uh, you can probably sync up with my struggle because doesn't it seem like good or important things in life seem to always require waiting? Seems like there's, if it's good or it's important, seems like there's always a weight associated with it. And the fact is, the better something is or the more important it is, sometimes the longer the wait. I mean, if you've been to Six Flags, right? The better something is, the longer the queue, right? you got to wait longer for it. And if, where we're going with this series is if God wants the best for you, if God wants what is best, if he wants what's most important for your life, right, then it could be, it just could be that God is the person in your life who sometimes you wait the longest with. And so I think part of, of, of being a successful person, part of being a successful employee, a successful spouse, but even more than that, a successful follower of Jesus Christ is understanding the principles that are necessary to wait well. Really, the principle is necessary to wait strategically. 
Now, when we talk about strategy, a lot of times we talk about uh, a strategic effort. You're going to go do something. It's a strategy to take on something, a, a, a military strategy or a business strategy. But I want, to, I want you to think for a moment about the skill of strategic waiting, which is what this week is about. And, and I, if you're a note taker, I'm just going to define strategic waiting as seeking the best outcome instead of the now outcome. Strategic waiting is making personal choices that are geared to seek the best outcome and not the now outcome. And it could be that this is really, this is really a message that's going to speak to your current moment because it could be that right now, in your heart, you know that there are some areas of your life in which you could choose between what's available to you now or what in your heart you believe is the best thing. And we're going to talk today about a story of two people who really struggled with this. And, and, and I want to give you an overview here because it's just two weeks. I want to give you an overview of where we're going with this series. We're going to talk about two different situations in which God was going to do something incredible in someone's life. And yet, these individuals struggled with waiting. And as a result, they created stress for themselves. How many of us can vouch for the fact that when we don't wait on God and we tend to, to handle things our way, we create more stress for ourselves? They created more problems for themselves. But in the end, they learned some huge secrets about waiting on God. And what I want to do is just, I want to I explore the secrets that they learned. And so today we're going to talk about a couple of people in the Bible who really struggled with strategic waiting. And their names are Abraham and Sarah. If you're familiar with scripture, if you're a theologian, you know that Abraham and Sarah started off with different names. God renamed them later on. Their names were Abram and Sarai. I'm ADD. I struggle enough with names. I don't want to keep track of four. We're just going to go with the two, right? We're going to cut to the chase. We're going to call them Abraham and Sarah. That's what their eventual name was, so that's what we're going with. Is that okay? All right. I see a few heads nodding. Uh, you're my supporters, and I appreciate you. Okay. Genesis 12 is where we're starting. I'm going to read here about Abraham and Sarah. The Bible says that the Lord said to Abram, leave your native country, your relatives, and your father's family, and go to the land that I will show you. Uh, I want you to pay careful attention to where we're going here in verse 2. I will make you into a great nation. And God is talking about the fact that Abraham is going to be the father of God's people of a great nation. He says, I will bless you and make you famous right? You're going to be a wealthy and famous person. You'll be a blessing to others, and I will bless those. Now, this is God speaking, saying that he would bless those who bless you and curse those who treat you with contempt, and all the families on earth will be blessed through you, all right? Oh, there's so much just in that that we could spend a whole week on, but I just, I have to kind of run you through this very quickly. What's happening is God is coming to Abraham, and he's saying, look, I need you to leave where you're at right now. I've got a specific place I want you to go, but I'm not going to tell you where that is yet, and if you will leave and go where I send you, I'm going to make you famous. I'm going to make you wealthy. I'm going to bless you. People who want to do good by you, I'm going to elevate them. People who want to hurt you, I'm going to take them down a notch. I'm going to be with you. Think about the amazing nature of this promise that God has made to Abraham. And here's just to cut to the chase. Abraham did what God asked him to do. Maybe just as you have felt like God has asked you to do something in your life, and you've done that. I mean, think about this. Abraham is 75 years old. This is not exactly how you anticipate spending your retirement. I mean, the, the, where God eventually called him to was 400 miles away. And I don't even like making a 400-mile car trip. I mean, I'm not a road trip person. If, if, if you're a road trip person, I'll pray for you. But the, this, this was like um, on camel's back, on foot, 400 miles. This guy's 75 years old. God calls him, and Abraham says, okay. God, if that's what you want me to do, I'll do it, all right? The thing is, God said, leave your family, 
leave your land, go where I tell you to go, and I'm going to do this for you. Abraham showed up, he did exactly what God told him to do, and nothing happened. Remember we said God told Abraham he was going to be the father of a great nation. In order to be the father of a great nation, it's relatively important that you have at least one child. And yet, Sarah, Abraham's wife, couldn't get pregnant. And nothing was happening for them. There was this period of time where it just seemed like nothing was happening. And it's as though Abraham is in God's waiting room, just as you would show up for an appointment with your physician. Abraham has done what God has asked him to do. He has showed up, and it feels like God is late for his appointment. Now, I don't know if you've ever experienced that in your life. Maybe you've gotten to a place in your life where you feel like, God, I have done what you've asked me to do. I have showed up. God, I, I want to, to find the person I want to spend the rest of my life with. And I have tried to follow your, your insights, God. I've, I've tried to look for somebody who believes in you as I do. I've tried to, to, to maintain your standards of purity. I have shown up. I have done what you've asked me to do, and yet you are late for your appointment. Or maybe you would say, you know what, God? I deserved that promotion, and I worked at my job as though I were working for you, God. I put my heart into it. I put my soul into it. I worked more hours than I should have worked. I really gave it everything that I had. And God, I showed up, but you were late for your appointment, and somebody else got the job. The Bible tells us, while Abraham and Sarah were waiting on God to provide this child, they had relatives who were having kids. One of the most frustrating things, I think, uh, you know, I'm, well, I'm just going to tell you it's a pet peeve. Maybe, maybe, it's, maybe it's not tremendously frustrating, but it's a pet peeve. You ever go to a restaurant, and you go to the little hostess table there, and they ask you how many people in your party, and you tell them. They give you one of those little magic vibrating things that they give us all these days to call us back. And then you're sitting there, and you wait 10, 15 minutes, and then some other people come in. The same number is in your party, right? They come in, and they put their name on the list, and they, their little vibrating thing goes off before your little vibrating thing goes off, right? Now, come on, just for a second. I know we're in church, but let's be real. That's not cool, <laughs> right? It's rough when we feel like we've been promised something and other people get there before we do. Abraham and Sarah waiting to have this child. Sarah can't get pregnant. They're waiting, they're waiting. God, you, we know you said you were going to do this, and we're really counting on you to do it. And yet, other members of the family were having kids. Have you ever been in that moment where it's like, why is it that even though God wants something for, for me, everybody else seems to get it first? I mean, I, I'm, I'm, I'm working my tail off to go to work and, and then go to school at night. I'm only taking one class at night. It's going to take me forever to get my degree. And yet this bozo over here uh, somehow just gets to not work and go to school. And he's done with school in six months. And, and, and how can I ever achieve anything if I'm competing against people who have advantages like that that I don't have? Or, 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 or to, to say, you know, I, I, I don't understand why other people can, can just waltz in and get the job that I tried my whole career to get. And they just waltzed in and got it. They're 10 years younger than me, and I've done, all, I've done everything necessary to, to be qualified for this job, and yet they got it. There are those moments where we go, God, why is it everybody else has good stuff? Why is it everybody else in my life has a good salary? Why is it everybody else in my life drive, drives a nice car, and I don't get to drive a nice car? God, why is everybody else ahead of me? Why are they getting the good stuff? Don't you want good things for me? And if you've ever been there, then you understand where Abraham and Sarah were. Nothing wrong with being there. Nothing wrong with saying, you know, I believe God has something for me, but I'm struggling because I'm not seeing it happen right now. The problem 
is that Abraham and Sarah did some really counterproductive things because they got there. And I want to just break apart for you in the limited time that we have, I want to break apart for you three mistakes that Abraham and Sarah made that really caused additional stress and caused them problems they should not have had to go through because they got tired of waiting for God. They got ahead of God. They just struggled with strategic waiting. I'm going to move through this quickly. Here's the first one if you're taking notes, and that is they tried to run interference for God. They tried to run interference for God. They tried to protect God's destiny in their lives because they didn't think God would protect it for himself. The Bible tells us that um, Abraham was, uh, they were in, they were making their journey towards where God had called them to, but there was a famine in the land, so they ended up going to Egypt because they had food in Egypt. And the Bible says that Abraham said to Sarah as they were approaching Egypt, look, you are a very beautiful woman. I mean, he said to his wife, you're hot, you know. And if you're a guy in this room and you're married, you should tell your wife from time to time that she's hot. It's just the couple's pastor coming out of me, right? But, but he said, look, you're a very beautiful woman. When the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife. Let's kill him. Then we can have her. So please tell them you are my sister, and then they will spare my life and treat me well because of their interest in you, right? So here's the thing. He says, you know, you're hot. By the way, she must have been because she didn't argue with him, right? I mean, I don't know. I don't know if you've had these conversations in your marriage. You know, sometimes a husband will say to his wife, you're the most, you know, gorgeous creature on the face of the earth. And, and she says, oh, no, you're just saying that, right? Apparently that, the conversation didn't go down quite that way. Apparently she must have been something because, something special because he said, you know, you're hot. And when we get to Egypt, they're going to, you know, they're going to want to kill me so they can marry you. And she said, well, that's a definite possibility. And, <laughs> and uh, he said, I want you to say that you're my sister and so when we get there, we won't have any, we won't have any big issues. And it was a half-truth because technically um, Sarah was Abraham's half-sister, which is incredibly creepy, but in keeping with the times. And um, so when they got there, that's what they did. And as a matter of fact, it is exactly what happened. They, Pharaoh ended up taking Sarah as a wife, and uh, Abraham was unscathed, untouched. But of course, God, being God... Uh, was not going to stand for it. And God sent a plague on the Pharaoh, and Pharaoh said, this is bad news bears, I don't think I need this. And so he sent her back with Abraham, right? What's, what are we getting here at? What are we getting at here? Abraham had come to the point where he believed that his future was so fragile. The future God had created for him, he got, he'd come to the point where he believed it was so fragile. If he did not run interference for it, if he did not somehow protect it, if he did not find a way to hold it together, it would fall apart. Even though it was God who created the future in the first place, he had this idea that if I don't take care of God's future in my life, I'm going to lose it. Because God's not big enough to take care of the future that he's given me. I've got, to, I've got to orchestrate something out and get her to say she's my sister because if not, you know, it, it, can I just ask you a basic biological question? And this, all you have to have for this is high school biology and you're in great shape, right? Simple, simple stuff, right? Abraham, God promised Abraham he was going to be the father of a great nation, which would require him to have at least one child. Now, tell me this. Abraham's worried they're going to kill him when he gets to Egypt. Can Abraham have a son if he's dead? Yes, no? It's very unlikely, Right? And so Abraham is worried that somehow something bad is going to happen to him, even though God has promised him something else. That is him coming to God and saying, God, I appreciate that you have a future for me, but I think it's too fragile for you to protect, so I'm going to have to protect my future. 
And so Abraham starts making decisions way in advance. Instead of making one decision at a time, instead of saying, we need to go to Egypt to get food, and when we get to Egypt, we'll decide what to do when we get there, he makes two or three decisions at a time. And I don't know if you've ever been there in your life, but have you ever gotten to a point where you're making decisions so far in advance that life doesn't even make sense anymore? You're making a decision about where to go to college based on who you want to marry, or you're making a decision on what kind of career to take because you're already thinking about what kind of retirement you want or where you want to retire. And you're making these decisions as though life were some incredible chess game, and you're figuring out the moves, three or four moves in advance, and you forget that God controls the whole board. Our future is not that fragile. God has created the future in your life, and he can maintain it. All right, I need to move on quickly to the next point, and that is this. Secondly, they tried to do God's job for them. Have you ever gotten in a place in your life where you felt like God was not doing what you needed him to do fast enough or well enough, so you decided to just kind of help things a little bit? I'll just I'll help it along a little bit. This is what Abraham and Sarah did. As a matter of fact, not too long after Abraham and Sarah received the promise, and Abraham is 75 and Sarah is 65, things are looking a little iffy on the kid front. In Genesis 15, the Bible says, Abraham said, Sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless? And the one who will inherit my estate is Eliezer of Damascus. And you have to understand in the Asian culture, that if you didn't have children, you felt like you were unable to have children, but you had a lot of wealth and Abraham was wealthy, what you would do is you would adopt your favorite servant and that person would receive your wealth. And so what we're reading here in Genesis 15 is Abraham had already gone about the business of adopting his favorite servant so that somebody would be able to inherit his wealth. He's already helping God along. God, maybe you're not able to do the whole son thing, but at least you gave me a lot of money and I'm thankful for that, so I'm gonna go ahead and adopt somebody into my house so that they can receive the money. That was just step one of them trying to help God. But God told him in Genesis 15, he said, nope, that's not going to work. This guy is not going to be your heir, but a son who is your own flesh and blood. Abraham said, okay, my own flesh and blood. God said, not this guy, be somebody who's my own flesh and blood. So that's when things got really nutty, right? Because he thought, well, if it's my own flesh and blood. And then and, and what happens is about 10 years later, Sarah's 85 and, and, and Abraham's 75. Biologically, things are starting to look extremely doubtful. And in Genesis 16, the Bible says, Sarah, Abraham's wife, had borne him no children, but she had an Egyptian slave named Hagar. Isn't that an attractive name? You ever kind of picture a face that would go with a name? I'm not sure. Anyway, um, I don't know how I got off on that. So she said to Abraham, the Lord has kept me from having children, so go sleep with my slave, perhaps, and I want you to help me with this. What are the next two words? Perhaps what? Perhaps I can. Perhaps I can. God won't. Perhaps I can. God isn't. Perhaps I can. It's not happening fast enough. Perhaps I can. She says, perhaps I can build a family through her. Instead of God building a family through Abraham and Sarah, Sarah's saying, maybe I can build this family through somebody else. This is so huge, and, and, I, and I don't know how to communicate this. God will have to help me, but one of the biggest mistakes that we can try to do one of the biggest mistakes we can make is to, to make a wrong decision in order to try to somehow get to a right out outcome. I don't know if you've ever had that happen in your life, but we make a wrong decision so that somehow we can come out to a right outcome. And that's what happened here. But what we have to keep in mind, and this is something if you're taking notes to keep in mind, is that God is the creator of genuine futures. Anytime we try to create our own future, it is always counterfeit. 
Remember, God said, I will create a great nation through you. And Sarah said, perhaps I can. That message, perhaps I can, is a counterfeit message, right? Maybe I can create my own. Maybe if God will not create it for me, maybe I can create my own. That is the message of counterfeit. One of the places that I really hate to wait, and maybe I have some soul brothers or soul sisters in the room, my, probably my least favorite place to wait in the world is the tag agency. I don't know if you're with me on that one. Good. I have a, I have, we'll start a support group right after this, right? Tag agency waiting uh, uh, problems. But um, imagine I'm there at the tag agency waiting until the last day to renew my tags, as I usually do, and standing in this long line, and I say, you know what? I don't think I'm going to wait. Let's get out of line. I get out of line. I, I get in my car, and I drive to Walmart, and I walk the aisles of the uh, office supplies section, and I look for a little square yellow sticker, and I find one, and I get a pen, and I write on one of those little yellow stickers, 2014, and I smack it on my license plate and say, there, that ought to be good enough. You say, Jonathan, that wouldn't work. You'd get pulled over by one of Wichita's finest, and what would they say? You can't do that. That's counterfeit. It just doesn't work that way. You don't get to validate your own tag. The tag agency validates your tag. And this is what Abraham and Sarah really did not understand. We do not get to validate our own future. We do not have the resources to create a genuine future for ourselves. Only God can do that. So anytime we try to create with the resources that we have, something that only God can create, it's counterfeit and it causes us more problems than good. Maybe one of the biggest truths you can understand in your life as a God follower is that you do not have the resources to do God's job. Only God can do God's job. The Bible says that Abraham did do what Sarah suggested. She suggested that he, he, he take the, a, a, a servant girl who was in the house and sleep with her and have a child through her. It was a common thing at the time, to do in order to establish a bloodline to keep a family going. And Abraham did that, and they had a son named Ishmael. And let me tell you what, the negative repercussions of that echo even to this day. Because you only create problems and stress when we create a counterfeit future, and only God has the resources to do that. In Genesis 17, 18, Abraham has already had this son named Ishmael, and he says, to God, Abraham says to God, if only Ishmael might live under your blessing. And it's as though that police officer has pulled me over with my little sticker on my license tag. And I tell, I tell the officer, can't we just pretend? Doesn't, doesn't it look close? I mean, I got tired of waiting, so I just came up with something on my own. And that is what Abraham is doing to God. Abraham's going to God and saying, look, doesn't it look close? It looks close to what you promised. We got tired of waiting. Can't we just pretend? No. God doesn't pretend. God's genuine, and God creates genuine futures, and God is going to do what God is going to do. So when God told Abraham and Sarah, you're going to have a son, what it meant was they were going to have a son. God is going to do what God is going to do. I need to hurry quickly. I want to talk to you about the last mistake they made. The last mistake is this, if you're taking notes. They limited God to their own imagination. I don't know if you've ever experienced this in your life, but isn't it interesting that as adults especially, we come to an understanding of the way the world works. And so when God comes to us and wants to do something for us in our future, but it's not the way the world works, at least as we've interpreted it, we feel like we have to help God understand that he can't do what he wants to do in our lives. And we see this in Genesis 15, going back to that verse in verse 2. Abraham said, Sovereign Lord, he said, God who knows everything, what can you 
give me. Why? Since I remain childless. Abraham is saying, God, uh, I'm, a, I'm about 100. Sarah's about 90 or so. And there are things what used to work that don't work now. Right? Yes, I said that in church. I'm the couple's pastor. I can get away with it. Right? Um, and so, God, that's just not how things work. God, things don't work that way. I know you're God, and you can do anything, and yet I don't think you can do anything. Have you ever been in that place in your life as a God follower where your head knows God can do anything, but your heart is really struggling with that reality? Because in your heart, you see the obstacles. And so from a logical standpoint, you have come to accept the fact that God is all-powerful. But in your circumstance, your heart says, I really don't think he can do anything. And that's why Abraham says, God, I don't think based off of where we are that you can do anything. God, what can you give me? And God's response was epic. God took him outside and said, look up at the sky and count the stars if you can count them. And then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. He takes Abraham outside and says, look at those stars. You can't even count them all. You asked me, what can I do? And I'm going to ask you, what can't I do? If I can hang the stars in the sky at night, what do you think? What, what is it that you think is just too hard for me? What do you think is too impossible for me? And some of you in this room need to hear that this morning. You've been telling God, you can't get me that job. You can't help me get where I need to be. God, my future is never going to be what it needs to be. And you're saying, God, what can you do? You can't do anything. And God is saying, what can't I do? God came and appeared to Abraham and Sarah uh, at, at this point and promised that they, they would have a son within the year. And the last thing that God said to Abraham and Sarah, and this is so huge, he said, is there anything too hard for the Lord? Man, some of us need to hear that. Because you're up against it. You're going through something that's just huge. And on the inside, it's tearing you apart. You don't know what to do. You're, you're up against the wall. And you're saying, God, I just don't know what you can do for me. And God is saying, is there anything too hard for me? What can't I do for you? Just because you're in the waiting room doesn't mean I can't deal with what you're going through at the right time. I don't know exactly when, but the Bible tells us that Abraham had a change of heart at a certain point. Because in Romans, the Bible tells us, that Abraham never wavered in his faith. At a certain point, he got to a point where he was absolutely rock solid in his faith. And if you want to know my opinion, I believe it came at that time. I believe that when God came to him and said, is there anything too hard for me? I think there was something in Abraham's mental apparatus that clicked and he said, that's right, I can have faith. It doesn't really matter that I think I know how things work because God made everything anyway and he can make things work out any way he wants to make them work out. The Bible tells us in Romans 4, and I love this passage, I really want you to key in on this. The Bible says, against all hope, Abraham in hope believed and so became the father of many nations. Now you got to get this. The Bible says, against all hope, in hope. How do you do that? How can you be somebody who lives in an environment where everything is against hope? The message around you is it can't be done. How, how do you live in hope, when you're in an environment that is against hope, when you're in a can't world, how do you live in a can reality? When you live in an impossible world, how do you live in a possible reality? So the Bible says that was Abraham's measure of faith. And I want to give you a verse to really frame this up with. In John chapter 15, the Bible says this. Remain in me and I will. This is God speaking. If you remain in me, I will remain in you 
you cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. God is saying, don't make the counterfeit mistake. Go for what's genuine. Remain in me. Right? This is the waiting room, right? Remaining is, means to wait. When we say remain, when, when somebody says stay here, it means wait. And God is saying, stay here with me, and I will stay here with you. If you will stay in the waiting room with me, I will stay in the waiting room with you. And when the time is right, I will do what is necessary to give you a future. It's a personal message for me, very personal, because the first time that I really felt substantially that God was for sure calling me to the ministry, I was 21, and my wife and I were recently married, and I remember telling my wife, I really think God's called me to the ministry, but I, don't, I haven't finished my training. I'd had some Bible college, but I hadn't finished, and I said, you know, I really think I, I need to get training, and I, and I don't know really how to go about that. I remember we were walking, we, it was in, we were in an apartment back then, we had just gotten married, and we were, we were walking down the frozen foods aisle in Dillon's, I'll never forget, the Dillon's at Harry and Webb, and we're walking down the frozen foods aisle, and my wife looked at me and she said, well, if you really feel that way, why don't we just go back to the Bible school I graduated from, and I could work there, and you could finish your degree, and then we could go from there. And I remember having this enormous sense in my heart that God was saying, yes, that's what you need to do. Do that, right? And I said, Wendy, when does school start? And she said, September. And it was May. And I'm embarrassed to tell you this. But the reason that I did not move forward with God's calling in my life when I was 21 is because I didn't want to wait four months I was unhappy with my job. I was unhappy with where I was in life. And because I couldn't have it right then, right there, I thought I just need to find something I can have now. And I found a secular career that I could get training in starting about a month later. I signed up for it. I got into it. And can I tell you, this is big for me. This is a message from my heart to your heart. I went on a four-year detour away from God's calling in my life because I was not willing to wait four months. I'm just asking you, consider the cost. There, there's, there, God calls us to something and he says, I need you to remain with me for a period. Remain with me now and I will remain with you. And when the time is right, you will achieve your destiny and your future with me. But, but it's so often that we say, I just don't want to wait in the waiting room as long as God wants me to wait. I need to create my own future. And my message to you is, it will always take you on a detour. I'm already in overtime, but I just want to share with you the moment that Things sort of changed for us. Uh, in 2006, I surrendered to full-time ministry. We were at the First Baptist Church of Edmond. I walked down the aisle and told my pastor that I was surrendering to full-time ministry. and We didn't know what that exactly meant. I still didn't have the end of my Bible training. And, and uh, we were trying to figure out, what, what, what did I need to do? And so I called my dad, and I called my pastor, and I talked to everybody I could find. What do I need to do? Where do I need to go to school? What do I need to, you know, how, how do I get going in the ministry, you know? And um, in the middle of all this time, I ended up making a connection with a guy who was the head of a department at a Bible college on the East Coast, and he liked me. He said, man, you've got a lot of potential. We really want you to come to our college and, and finish your training. And he said, I know financially it's a burden for you. He said, if you will find a way to come and visit me on the, at the campus, I will find a way for you to be able to go financially. So not to give you superfluous details, but I sold some things that were very important to me just so that I could pay for the plane ticket for Wendy and I to go and visit the school. 
and we talked to this gentleman, and he, he, he was very kind, and we talked for a while. And, um, but you should know, but, but before I go there, I just want to let you know that it was always on our heart. This is not right for everybody, but it was always on our heart that if Wendy could stay with our girls as they, as they were growing up, if, you know, to what extent she could be a stay-at-home mom or at least be with them, that was important to us. And, and it was something that we wanted to try to do if possible. And it was really, I, it was a commitment in our heart, I'll put it that way. And we were sitting across from this gentleman, and he told, he told my wife, he said, but you have to understand, if this is going to work for your husband, if this is going to financially work out, and if you're going to be able to go to this program, you're going to have to put your daughter in daycare, and you're going to have to work full-time. There was nothing tremendously sinister about that other than we just told him that's really not the commitment of our heart. Our commitment of our heart has been for Wendy to be with our girls. And, and Wendy said, you know, maybe there's some things we can explore here. Maybe I can, maybe I can work somewhere where, where I'll be able to be with my daughter. And he said, no, it doesn't work that way. He said, you're, you're going to have to work full time and you're going to have to put your daughter in daycare. And I'll never forget his face changed. The, the look on his face changed and he looked at her because I think he could sense some resistance. And he looked at her and he said, I need you to understand something. If you don't do this, your husband will never finish his training. He will never get to serve at a church where he'll have a big impact. He'll, he'll never be able to realize his full potential for God. And he'll always be in an extended stall pattern. And we left that room crushed. I won't lie to you. I remember going and sitting in a commons area that they had at that college. And I remember sitting there with my wife and talking it over. And that was the moment for us that it clicked. And it was like, well, I should say for me, my wife always felt this way, but it was a moment for me where it clicked and I said, it doesn't have to be right here. And it doesn't have to be right now. If God wants to do something in our lives, he can do it anywhere he wants, anytime he wants, because he's God. If, if, if he's really God, he can do whatever he wants, whenever he wants. And as long as we're following what God has called us to do, we will make it. And I'm here to tell you, please hear my heart. I know I'm in overtime, but I really, really want you to hear this. Because we did not go to that school. And my wife, I'll, I'll tell you what, my wife did for a period of time work. But God always made it so that our daughter was able to stay with her. It was amazing the doors that God opened up. And I'll tell you what, I did not go back to school right away. But I'm here to tell you that every single thing that man told us would never happen for us has happened plus some. God has given us everything that he said we would never have. So don't limit God to your imagination and don't limit God to your parents' imagination and don't limit God to your boss's imagination or to the voice in your head that says it can't happen or it won't happen because God can do anything. God said, wait with me and I will wait with you until the right time. Father, thank you so much that even when we are in a waiting period, even when we're in the waiting room, Father, that you have a future for us and a plan for us and that if we remain with you, you will remain with us. If you're in this room today, heads are still bowed and eyes are still closed. If you're in this room today and you would say, you know what, Jonathan, as you were talking, I just had this real sense in my heart that I need to have a connection with God and I don't have a relationship with him, but I need to. If you're feeling that way in this room right now, here's what I wanna do. I don't wanna have you leave without the opportunity to solidify that connection with God. So I'm gonna say the words to a very simple prayer and I want you to listen closely because I wanna make sure that it does mirror what's going on in your heart. But if it does, you can say these words silently in your head to God and it will be settled once and for all. Ready, here we go. Dear Jesus, thank you that you love me. Thank you that you died for me. I know I've done wrong things and I know I can't get to heaven on my own. Today, 
I accept your free gift of heaven and forgiveness. I believe in you, Jesus. Now, would everybody look this way? If you just prayed that prayer in this room, you just made the biggest decision of your life, and we're so excited for you, and we've got something we want to give you. We've put together some materials, a DVD, a booklet. Uh, we just want to get it in your hands. So if you prayed that prayer today, would you mind taking that Talk to Us card that you received when you came in? Take that back to guest services out in the foyer. We want to give those materials to you. Um, no hassle. We just want to make sure we get it in your hands. Thank you so much for being here this week, and next week is week two of Waiting Room.